Well, if you would turn in your Bibles this morning to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 14, you will see some very familiar words. Maybe even the same words from the song that we just sang. I'll first start with reading our uh, key verse, if you would stand as we read the scripture together. Our key verse from John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1-14, to 14, There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. That is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord Jesus. Articulate the Father's heart through my voice and let the Holy Spirit breathe new life to us, opening our ears to hear the message of God. Amen. You may be seated. Ecclesiastes is a book of contrasts, almost like quick thoughts jotted down throughout one person's lifetime. They are doubts and hopes and observations. One of the things that you would find if you read the whole entire book is there are places where the author says everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. He says it many times in the book. He does this all throughout the book where he kind of contrasts what meaninglessness looks like and what meaning can be found in the things around us. At the end, his observations kind of come to one conclusion. The same one Proverbs says is the only way. The fear of the Lord is the meaning of life. These verses in chapter 3 were compelling enough to form a song. One probably most people have heard in their lifetimes. 
one that we just heard earlier this morning, one that reflects on the ebb and flow of life. The birds, the authors of the song, added a lyric, turn, 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 to kind of reflect the cyclical nature of time and life. Everything happens as though a wheel of time spins in the heavens, and as it goes along, things happen in their seasons. It's a sweet perspective with a large appeal. Based on the popularity of the song, people really get that. They understand that. The reality is is that while things have some measure of cyclical nature, the only way to actually make sense of all the things under heaven, the only way to understand all of what happens is to continue reading in Ecclesiastes. And when you get further into the passage in chapter 3, you will see that the author of Ecclesiastes says that you need to have a God's eye view of the universe. And it's the one thing that we kind of long to have. God has set eternity in the hearts of men, the author of Ecclesiastes says. We know that ultimately everything works together for the good of those who love and serve God. Romans tells us that, but Ecclesiastes kind of says it in a little different way. Already here, he says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Sort of the same thing, except a little more flowery language. It says that God does things to make them beautiful. But we can't necessarily see that, because we can only see with our limited perspective. The only way to really understand it is to have a God's eye view. And that is the one thing we cannot have. It is only reserved for God to know and see and understand all that is and was and is to come. God has a handle on the nature of activity in our world. And if it isn't all mapped out to the nth degree, necessarily, God at least sees the myriad directions it can all ebb and flow. And we have these verses to remind us that our own understanding will always wind up having to fall back to the main idea of Proverbs. Fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. And it is the only way to make sense of all that happens in our world, good, bad, and neutral. This past week, maybe you've been paying attention to the news, there have been wildfires burning out of control in California. I think I read this morning there are three different fires in all of that, there have been places where the entire town has been completely demolished. Uh, and so people will have no place to go. There was a shooting this week, also in California. And all of us have had things that have happened in our own lives this week. Little things maybe to everyone else in the world, but things that are important to us that have created chaos or hardship. Maybe someone has lost a job. Someone else has failed a test. Someone has started a new job. Gotten a bad report from the doctor. Or a good report from the doctor. 
But the thing of it is, the only way to understand or at least make room for any of these things, bad or good, is to reflect on the nature of God and rest in the knowledge that God is watching and God is preparing us. God is preparing the world for the return of Jesus. Just like the statement at the end of our call to prayer this morning, which talked about the ultimate conclusion of everything. Wherein our weapons of destruction are turned into plowshares. That's actually a scripture. We'll get to that eventually when we get to Revelation, but it's actually a scripture that says we don't have to accept that always everything will be about war. Instead, we can anticipate an ending that turns violence into peace. That's good news. That's a hope. That's something we can work toward. God is preparing the world for the return of Jesus. And while we wait, when we fear God, we can know that no matter what our circumstance, God is there. You know, God didn't solve everything for us. He didn't fix all of our fears and all of our tears and all of our sorrows and all of the things that are broken in the world around us. God sent us to work through those things with others. But as a continuation of the God who broke through, God's resolution for the brokenness of sin and the challenging circumstances that have been a part of our lives since the fall in the garden, God's resolution was to put on our vulnerable flesh and walk among us and then turn us loose to do the same for others. We don't have to be fearful of a God who is far away from us, a distant God. We instead worship and obey a God who has an investment in us in our lives. We fear a God whose entire mission has been to provide rescue for us. And that has been done not by a God who throws thunderbolts and lightning strikes, but by a God who reveals himself to us as a babe in a manger, who becomes one of us to save all of us. Recently, Eugene Peterson, the one who paraphrased scripture in the message version, passed away. And one of his sons, Leif Peterson, eulogized him this way. My dad's message was that good news always plays out best in relationships. The writer of Genesis tells us that at the end of each day of creation, God looked around the world that he had done and saw that it was good. I think my dad did that a lot. He was always looking around at the mountains, at the flowers, at the birds, at the relationships forming and playing all around him. And you could tell from that signature twinkle in his eyes what he was thinking. Oh man, that's good. That's really good. 
Lee Peterson revealed that he used to joke with his father and tell him that he only had one sermon, one message, despite decades of creativity in sharing the Bible with people in new ways, something which he believes to be fairly accurate. It's almost laughable how you fooled them, how for 30 years, every week, you made them think you were saying something new. He said as part of a poem addressed to his father, They thought you were a magician in your long black robe, hiding so much in your ample sleeves, always pulling something fresh and making them think it was just for them, he continued. They didn't know how simple it all was. They were blind to your secret. Leif Peterson said that he knew his father's secret, however, as he had been telling them for 50 years. For 50 years, you stole into my room at night and whispered softly to my sleeping head, It's the same message over and over. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. In Ecclesiastes, we see a revelation that our doubts do not confound God, nor do they surprise him. Rather, our doubts are normal, and the longer we explore and investigate and learn, the more we recognize that our doubt is the beginning of understanding the truth. That the God who created us loves us enough to let us doubt everything about who he is and what he does. But still, God loves you, he's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. He draws us near, draws us close, and whispers love in our hearts. As we have done every week in this series, I will remind you of what it looks like to say that the love of God is found in every page of Scripture. What does it mean to say God loves? God loved us enough to create us, to form us from the dust. God loved us enough to let us fail, to let us choose our own way over God's, to let us chain ourselves to sin and defeat and heartbreak and sorrow and death. God loved us enough to provide a rescue, a way back through wanderers, murderers, adulterers, defaulters, promise breakers, foreigners, strangers, and lovers. God loved us enough to show us mothers, judges, kings, and prophets who loved and spoke for God and kept reminding us of the promise of redemption. God loved us enough to show us how evil and wrong continually mess things up and how obedience to God fosters holiness and bestows blessing. God loved us enough to send us Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, to preach and live peace, grace, hope, joy, and love. God loved us enough to see Jesus rejected, to see him die, to see him buried. And God loved us enough to raise Jesus from the dead and send the Holy Spirit to remind us of all we have in him and empower us to live like him. God loved us enough to want us to live like Jesus, an abundant life infused with all the fruit of the Spirit. Redeemed, free, loved. God loves us enough to still let us choose our destiny, 
And God loves us enough to promise the hope of forever, of resurrection from the dead and judgment. God loved us enough. God loves us enough. God will always love us enough. For God so loved the world. God loves you. God wants you to know it. God wants you to live in it. God wants you to be able to love others because you know you are loved. God's love is expressed to us every week, most tangibly, as we gather at this table. The son who died and yet lives gave everything so we could know the depth of God's love. So come, drink the wine, eat the bread, know you are loved. God loves you. Go love the world with him.